Hello, everyone. Welcome to the California Association of Tactical Officers podcast, where we discuss a variety of SWAT-related topics. We believe tactics are a science, and the art is in how we apply those tactics. My name is Marcus Sprague. And I'm Brent Stratton. In this episode of the Cato Podcast, Brent and I sit down with neuroscientist Dr. James Ingle, co-founder and president of the Blast Analytics and Mitigation Incorporated. The crew at BAM360 have dedicated themselves to bringing about awareness and mitigation strategies related to blast exposures in the military. The results of their research and mitigation with the Navy SEALs led them to develop Operation Blue Shield, where they leveraged their knowledge to help the law enforcement community. There are a lot of layers to these issues, and the circles these folks travel in continue to overlap with Cato. Brent and I feel this is a pretty important topic and believe this is the beginning of a partnership that could help mitigate these risks for our profession. I think this will be the first of many conversations with Dr. Engel and the group at BAM360. For the record, James is a doctor, and we are talking about medical issues. So if you're experiencing any of the symptoms we're talking about, please go seek medical help. We'll be posting additional information on our website and in the notes. As always, I hope you enjoy the show and see the value in the work these folks have done with the military and how it could literally save law enforcement lives. Uh, James, thank you for being here with Brent and I. Uh, Brent and I recently met uh, James down in L.A. when he was doing a presentation for LAPD SWAT. We're excited uh, about what you're doing for our profession, and we wanted to have you on so that you could explain to uh, our listeners and the Cato members just really some important work that you're doing. And so if you could just start a little bit with telling us about yourself and I've never asked you this, but how, how did you end up uh, doing this? Cause it's an interesting niche. Well, first off, Marcus, thank you for having me on your show. Uh, my name is Dr. James Engel, president and co-founder of Blast Analytics and Mitigation or BAM, BAM 360. Uh, we're a small company that focuses on understanding and mitigating the effects of weapon systems that are commonly used by civilians, law enforcement and military personnel. Our current focus is on blast overpressure exposure and blast injury, specifically injury to the head. Uh, how did I end up in this field? Well, long about it, I can, I can tell you the long story, the short story. Essentially, the, the short story is, is that I, I got out of research, uh, out of academia. I didn't really like writing grants. So I also had a, a deep vein thrombosis in grad school. So kind of wasn't really focusing in on the future anymore. I was really focusing on the present. So I, I, I got out of I got out of academia, got an industry, uh, inevitably fell into some research uh, as a contractor, doing some research in collaboration with Naval Special Warfare and uh, uh, USIS and DivBIC. And we essentially were trying to understand the effects of like heavy weapons on performance um, within that community, within a Naval Special Warfare community. So essentially uh, the project was a comprehensive look at what happened following uh, following, uh, firing heavy weapons. So gigantic, these large 84 millimeter shoulder mounted rocket systems. And, you know, essentially we track these, essentially these operators afterwards, um, for up to three months to try to get a, an understanding of what the, the effects of that was on overall performance. The Navy produced a video on that project. Um, I can send you a link on it. So if, if you want to post it on your, on, on, on KDO website, you can kind of get an understanding of what that research was. After that research project was over, I transitioned over and started to do some operational research, some blast surveillance. Um, the military oh, since 2018 has been trying to get their arms around uh, blast exposure and understanding it to, and, and inevitably trying to get what they found from these blast monitoring projects into their uh, into medical records. So 
essentially how I got into this was when that project was kind of wrapping up, I actually was reached out to on LinkedIn um, by a retired operator, SWAT guy, Eric Patricks, who just started talking to me about his problems that he experienced while he was in SWAT and essentially having all these short-term memory problems, everything that's in, that you would say is classic traumatic brain injury. Um, after doing a little deep dive with him, you know, he, he talked about his blast-induced traumatic brain injury. And I realized at that moment that there is an entire uh, community of operators out there who need to, they're being overlooked. And, you know, hence the reason why I've been focused in with, with BAM, BAM 360 on, on the law enforcement community, trying to bring a program and tools um, to be able to prevent this problem. So you're kind of taking that, that Naval Special Warfare experience, that research, and now focusing the results of that into law enforcement, in particularly SWAT, EOD, some of the, the more uh, higher risk, more repetitive blast exposures in our profession? Uh, yeah, you know, the, the interesting thing is that when it comes to like understanding blast exposure, right? Like, you know, you know, most people fire guns, small, small arms, you know, uh, there's, there's a little bit of pressure that comes off that weapon system, you know, to handgun, just, just a little tiny, it's mostly acoustics, right? But as the as that caliber gets larger and larger and larger, all up to like a 50 cal, right? If you're, you know, 50 cal, if you're shooting a, a 50 cal uh, sniper rifle, right? You're going to get a pretty big thump from that. So if you're, if you're, you know, using energetics or, you know, breaching shotguns, things of that nature, you're taking a pretty big thump as well. And, you know, the, the weapon systems might not be the same, but, you know, the, the sub-concussive effects from these weapon systems is the same. And really it's the, uh, the op tempo that we're trying to explore, tracking that, how that, those exposures accumulate over time and essentially giving, giving the community the tools to be able to track that. And that would start kind of just like the military is doing. You would get a baseline and then do that surveillance over the course of their service or their career. Yeah, correct. So one of the, the, the model that they're currently deploying um, in the military, um, it's, it's actually really smart. And the, those are some aspects that uh, BAM360 has uh, adopted. And some of those things in, include like cognitive surveillance, right? Understanding where you are right now. So, you know, a lot of people, they're not in the academy. They've been in it for five to 10 years, right? And they've already had that accumu like, accumulation of exposures over time. Um, getting our arms around you right now, seeing where you are, um, is really important just to understand like what your trajectory is. Because at the end of the day, you know, what we're you know, trying to promote is, you know, force readiness and operator health and operator longevity, right? So making you as, as, as healthy as possible. Um, so, you know, when you think about it, there's, there's a lot of different things that uh, we can do and, and take what's been modeled uh, within the special operations community and the military as a whole, and, and now start to treat these high-risk operators within your community the same way so that you guys have those tools to be able to get in front of it before it becomes a problem like it did for Eric Patrick's. So what is it, how does it break that down for me in the mechanics? So uh, we met recently down at LAPD with uh, D Platoon. Lee, Lee was uh, gracious enough to let us attend that and see you present your program to the team. But tell, tell the listeners a little bit about the mechanics and how that works as far as uh, take away some of the, the mystery on how we're measuring these things and how, and how we can determine that exposure. Well, so it's, it's not really, there is some mystery behind it, right? Because, you know, every single person who fires a weapon or uses any type of energetic, they, they, they feel it, right? You, you know, you, you hear it. 
you know, when you're out on the range, you, you wear ear pro, maybe even double ear pro, depending on what you're, what you're using um, as a result of, you know, programs that are in place to prevent you from losing your hearing. So, you know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to go beyond just, you know, our ear, right? We're, we're, we're trying to, to move the program past our ears to our brain. And, you know, essentially when it comes to uh, acoustics and overpressure, you know, these are really loud sounds and you, the pressure that you're feeling off of these, off of these systems, um, you know, can penetrate, you know, through your skull. Not only that, but, you know, if it, if it you know, it hits your chest, that, that wave, that shock wave, that compression on your chest can actually travel up your, into your, into your brain. You know, it's interesting. I'll send you guys a link to this, but there's some great research that was uh, recently posted on my, a good friend of mine, the Huberman Lab, uh, Huberman Lab podcast where they have this, this video of someone in an MRI. So they're taking an image of someone's brain while they're breathing. And essentially uh, what it shows is that just during regular like breathing, deep and long breathing, you can actually see the brain stem move up and down as a result of just normal breathing. Well, if you think about this, like, you know, that you take that example to someone just normal, just breathing normally, and then you hit them in the chest, right? Or you, you hit that, get them get hit with that shockwave or that explosion that's coming off of a system or some type of device. You can imagine how that impulse could travel up into their brain. One of the things that, you know, I get asked all the time, like, you know, what's the difference between, you know, overpressure versus like impact getting hit in the head, right? So they're actually, they're, they're, they're in parallel. They're, they're very similar. So impact, right? Everyone's familiar with, you know, boxers getting punched in the head. You know, there's that repetitive jab, that subconcussive jab that just, you know, just barely just tickles someone's nose, right? But over time, it starts to accumulate and that person may start to have some memory issues and things of that nature, showing signs of some brain damage, right? Versus that big knockout punch, you know, getting uppercut by, like, by Mike Tyson, you know, that, you know, getting knocked out in that scenario is, you know, leading to a minor brain injury. Sometimes, you know, those brain injuries are, are very, are very, very uh, subtle. Like uh, they're considered like, you know, uh, concussions. Other times they're considered like full-blown, like traumatic brain injuries. Uh, a concussion is considered like a mild traumatic brain injury, whereas something a little bit more severe, like a severe traumatic brain injury, there could be some like skull, some type of penetration into the brain uh, that can lead to some really long-term effects. So kind of breaking down the mechanics of like, you know, what we're looking at again, you know, it's, it's the, this little small overpressure that's coming off these weapon systems. Um, it's like the jab subconcussive, um, subclinical versus like maybe someone who, uh, was had a, a pipe bomb thrown at them or they stepped on an IED like military, something like that, where they actually get knocked out. You know, there's, there's, there's some parallels there. Also get asked a lot of whether or not you know, what we're studying is, you know, what we're going after is CTE, which is commonly seen in impact sports, such as football and soccer and, and boxing. Um, CTE, uh, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, that is a particular, you know, disorder that has been, you know, shown to, to accumulate, you know, very specific well, pathologies in the brain, kind of similar to like Alzheimer's, but it's the markers that are similar, hyperphosphatated tau. Is the, is the marker that accumulates in CTE and also in Alzheimer's disease. So BLAST is BLAST CTE. I, th I think there's two compelling stories that are coming out on the right now. Um, one out of uh, Boston University and Dr. Ann McKee, who does research on you know looking at CTE and football players. And another story by Dr. Dan Pearl out of USIS, 
whose who's, uh, stories that, that the injuries that are resulting from a blast is actually a, a particular type of pathology known as astroglial interface scarring, which is uh, a, a slightly different pathology. When you, when you explain this last time, I just remembered scarring. Brent always remembers the fancier parts of the word, but, and that's why we confuse them because they look very similar to a layman, right? The CTE, a lot of the symptoms are very similar. Yeah, no, exactly. So the, the, the behavioral uh, outcome, the deficits are very similar, and, but where, it's, uh, where the damage is occurring is uh, in slightly different areas of the brain. You know, one of the things that we're trying to get around our, our hands around of is, is trying to prevent this from occurring. And, you know, essentially just by having like a, a, a knowledge or awareness of blast induced traumatic brain injury, you know, that's that's part of our first or our first goals with our program is to increase awareness of what is traumatic brain injury, how's what is blast induced traumatic brain injury, um, what are the parallels between uh, TBI and PTSD traumatic brain injury and suicide and then you know trying to understand the physics behind uh, you know blast so understanding the acoustic threat and understanding the blast threat because they're they're both both very different and they have different um, uh, the mechanism of where the injury is occurring is uh, in the ear versus the brain I, that was a big takeaway for me in your presentation by the way that uh, I know that they're different but I never once considered how that affects me and as a matter of fact, some at some point during your presentation, I was I leaned over to to Lee and I'm like, hey, do you guys do these measurements and all that? And I go, I, I wore double ear pro my entire career and still have tinnitus. And the way that it was explained, all of a sudden I'm like, I got a lot of other holes in my skull that sucked up a lot of acoustics and other issues not related to my ears that still cause a lot of issues. And I don't I don't know that I ever once considered that in. And there's a lot of people been done a lot more stuff than me, but I have been a police officer for 25 years and I never, never considered like, yeah, you have a lot of holes in your body that are going to soak up those, those issues and cause you problems. And I've had my bell rung and I've been knocked out and, and I've had that reverberation in your chest or your bones or your teeth rattle. And right. You know, talking about all those different areas, right. Most people almost always just focus on the ear. Right. And we're, you know, we, we wear our ear pro we're out on the range you maybe you're wearing softies and putting in plugs and then you're maybe putting on, you know, over the top. And, you know, the, the interesting thing is that people don't realize that there's, there's actually three ways sound can get to your, to your hearing organ uh, through your ear canal, um, through your eustachian tubes. <laughs> so if you're, you know, a mouth is open through your nose, again, it's one way to get through it. And then if it's loud enough, you have bone conduction. So really, you know, there's three mechanisms of how sound can affect your, your eardrum. But at the end of the day, too, you know, when we talk about overpressure and going beyond the eardrum and affecting your brain, you know, pe people, you know, wear helmets, you can wear, you know, kits and chest plates, things of that nature. But, you know, people often don't wear side chest plates and or just forget to wear their plates in, in general. You know, those are all avenues for, you know, pressure to, to affect your body. And like a sound wave, that pressure moves around. It doesn't just... It's not like a bullet that just goes straight and hits and stops and the energy might dissipate, but it's going to go around all that yeah, stuff so a little the, bit too. So the acoustic threat and the and, and blast over pressure threats, they're two different things, right? So like, you know, we talk about acoustics and a lot of people will, you know, if you've ever been in a club and there's just really loud music and that bass is just hitting really hard, right? You find these dead zones in the club where you're like, there's nothing here. 
right? And it's because with acoustics, the acoustic waves, you know, there's a lot of these reflective surfaces that go around and essentially you get two waves to, to, to deconstruct each other. And that's where you get these like null spots. But you can also get these areas that sound a lot louder, right? Where they're, you know, the waveforms are actually being additive. Um, when it comes to overpressure, unfortunately, there, there is no deconstructive components with overpressure that I'm aware of. Um, and it's all additive. So one of the things about overpressure, if um, you know you have this incident wave, this like you know, the initial brisant that comes off of you know these larger weapon systems, or that shock wave that comes off of you know smaller uh, small arms, and it, as it's you know going through space, if it's it, it's it's you know it's going out in a, in a sphere, right? And uh, one of the things about overpressure is that you know it's going to interact with the ground, so it can reflect off the ground, reflect off of objects. You know, if that sound is inside of a, a vehicle or inside of a room, you know, things are going to be louder and primarily because they're starting to become additive. So one of the things about overpressure, especially if you're in a spot where it's you're in the not the sweet spot, but you can actually get, you know, overpressure to be two to nine times greater than the incident pressure just based on its uh, reflective uh, additive properties, multiplicative properties. So which is. Uh, Scary problem. business. Yeah. Scary business when you see it. Yeah. You know, when yeah. you actually break it down and see it, you're like, Ooh, that's, that doesn't look good at all. <laughs> no. no. So, you know, a lot of the things that, you know, what we want to do, you know, part of what BAM 360 does and part of our, you know, operation blue shield campaign, part of our phase one uh, deployment is, you know, we, we, we want to bring out the experts. Like I, I talk, you know, it's, it was great to see you guys in, in the crowd. We also brought in, you know, Dr. Gary Kamamori, who was a retired civilian uh, army researcher. We had uh, Frank Larkin, who was, you know, retired Navy SEAL, uh, law enforcement. Uh, Frank has a, a long history, like within the law enforcement community, talk about his experience. And unfortunately he did lose his son, Ryan, to, to suicide. And he talked about those things, but, you know, our, our part of our phase one is really to educate and increase awareness of blast overpressure um, exposure and, and acoustics. So, so uh, going. Thank you. By the way, I obviously you've said this a, a thousand times, and you know what you're talking about. But you're, you're breaking it down for people like Brett and I, and and uh, it's real clear uh, what you're talking about. So let's talk a little bit about that model. So uh, recently, you're, you're starting a a program with LAPD, and. Uh, what was the first thing that you guys did when you showed up? So you showed up, you kind of explained everything, but talk us to us a little bit about the mechanics. Like you went out to the range, you went out to some of these places, like that's kind of the first step. If, if I understood your, what you do, that, that's yeah, kind so, of your first step. Yeah. So part of what we do uh, with our operation blue shield campaign, we kind of just to like do a little bit of recon on like what the facilities look like, uh, what the, what the team structure looks like. So we have a better understanding of the, the mechanics, the op tempo that uh, of you know of, of people on the team who could be uh, being exposed and what they're being exposed to. So we you know we kind of do a little scouting of, of 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 the environment and who's who, and then we bring out our team. And uh, essentially, you know, we Operation Blue Shield has three phases uh, currently, and we probably will expand expand to another phase. So phase one. Uh, we bring our team out and do uh, an education awareness campaign. So we, we pretty much pitch, it can be anywhere between, we can speed it up or slow it down, you know, three to six hours. It, it's a lot, but when we were out with the LAPD squad, it was about a three hour uh, seminar 
on uh, the blast overpressure exposure and acoustic exposure and how it affects uh, overall brain health. Essentially, our team, you know, we essentially, we, what we want to be able to do is, is to provide the tools for any swap op SWAT operator to, to be able to understand uh, the threats that, uh, from, from their weapon systems, acoustics and, and blast, and then give them a better understanding of how to potentially mitigate those effects. So phase one is education awareness campaign. Phase two, we come back out and we'll actually, you know, because uh, we'll actually go out and we'll start doing some uh, weapon mapping, um, environmental mapping of the, the different types of weapon systems that are being used and in those environments so that we, you know, understand what we're seeing on these different types of blast sensors. And these, uh, essentially, we know based on phase two, what everyone on that team is going to be exposed to. And then on during phase three, uh, we do a, a, essentially a blast surveillance program where we uh, gauge up the entire team and so and, and follow them over a six-month period to understand what their exposures are and try to help leadership, help individuals who are, you know, individual operators understand what their exposures levels are, if they're experiencing some problems, if they're starting to get um, some, some symptoms, short-term memory loss, lack of sleep, things of that nature. So that they can, you know, talk to their to leadership and also to doctors saying, hey, I think I might have uh, something going on in my brain. But a lot of it's just about getting this, uh, these little dosimeters, getting them on operators and to just having them wear them during training. Because at the end of the day, you know, in the military, it's going to be the same way in law enforcement. About 70 to 80 percent of like, one's lifetime exposure to blast occurs in training. So it's, it's all that off tempo you know, leading up to you know, those events that you guys occur, that occur on a weekly basis, daily basis. It, James, I might be jumping ahead of where you're going to go with it a little bit, but when you're talking about some of the symptoms and recognizing how often they can come, what are some of the things that can be done from a leadership, um, from a command level perspective to try and prevent uh, some of these things from occurring? Because like you said, I would imagine that the vast majority of the exposure comes uh, in a training capacity, because ideally, theoretically, for every time something's happened operationally, you've done it multiple times in a training capacity to be prepared for it. So how do you how do you mitigate that from a, a risk management, risk preventative uh, standpoint to try to not have our folks go go down that road in the first place? Yeah, so a lot of it is just understanding procedure. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if they're going through a house and, you know, if they're throwing one or two, two bangs or two, you know, two energetics, huh, or, you know, just depending on what they're, what they're, how they're operating. So understanding procedurally, like, okay, our op tempo this week is, you know, we're going to run through the house we'll use some energetics, uh, the next day, you know, if you're exposed to loud events on one day, you, you, you might want to space out what you're being exposed to the next day. And if you, you know, you, so you, you know, going in and understanding what the what the op tempo is at first and understanding what their training schedule is going to be and then look for areas where you can space stuff out is, is, is super critical. Um, just so that we're decreasing repetitive exposure within very narrow windows. It's like getting punched in the head over and over again, that, you know, that little jab. Better to get that little jab, you know, probably a lot better to get that little jab spaced out over, you know, days rather than all at once due to some of the inflammatory things that occur in the brain following an injury. So a quick you know, question to that, when you're talking about spacing, what, I mean, what is a proper amount of spacing? I'm guessing it's probably relative and dependent to what exactly is 
is being done, but is, is a 24 hour period a proper spacing? Is it more of a week thing? I mean, it's probably hard because it's situationally dependent based on the area you are and whether you're inside of a house and what exactly it is, I would imagine. But for yeah. most teams like um, LAPD that you're studying, this is a full, a full-time team with an yeah. operational tempo that's, you know, with other than a couple other agencies throughout the state of California are going to be uh, quite honestly, they're the they're the exception and not the rule. The vast majority are collateral assignment teams, and right. most teams have a state recognized um, recommendation of uh, about two training days a month, two to three right. training days a month at, at most. So sometimes they're back to back, sometimes they're spread out every other week, um, and it's really just dependent on the department. But can you speak to that a little bit about what that could practically look like? Well, you know, one of the things is even if it's collateral duty, right? These collateral assignments, you know, if you're doing a heavy training day, you know, the next day you might not want to be on the range shooting large caliber, like large caliber uh, weapons. You know, you could try to decrease that the next day exposure. You know, one thing that we we talk about um, are these exposure windows, right? You know, when someone has, you know, a, a, a presumptive brain injury, right? They, they fall into these like acute, hyperacute chronic phases that, you know, within the first, you know, 72 hours after 72 hours, you know, post three months, you know, if you start, if you're starting to see persistent symptoms, you know, you know, it's, it's a different story, but one of the things that, you know, for us, it's like, if we identify for, on, on those full-time teams, you know, tr trying to, to help space things out just a little, if all, if all possible, right. Uh, train smarter more or less that's 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 our that's the motto that we're trying to push and that is you know if you're if you're going to be if you're going to be training hard one day and giving a lot of exposures if we can't you know space out those exposures you know not do the you know the next day you know what there, there's obviously some risks that are associated with you know using weapons so you know if you if you are you have a heavy day a lot of exposures you know maybe the next day you know, if you can, you know this is one thing that we kind of even though that there's uh, risks associated with going suppressed but Going suppressed might, you know, obviously decrease uh, one's exposure to overpressure and acoustics um, following a heavy day. Yeah, obviously, you know, there's there's some trade-off with those gases there, but you know, the I think at the uh, at the end of the day, training smarter is 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 part of what we're trying to push. Yeah, and maybe this is a good um, segue into you know talking about Eric and talking about. If you don't have these surveillance systems in, and as the science now has has proven, you know how we can adjust our training and all that. If this does happen to you, there, there's things your body's not going to ever repair from. Yeah, so you know Eric Patrick's, you know, in many ways he's our inspiration. He's he he literally had our company do a 360 like <laughs> on like what we're what we're focused on and. You know, for Eric, you know, he, you know, his, his traumatic brain injury story, um, you know, his, his, his short-term memory problems that he was experiencing, you know, talking to Eric is probably the best thing to do, but he had short-term memory problems. He had hypopituitarism. So he was having some physiological effects as well following his brain injury. But, you know, one of the things that, you know, about training smarter is that if, you know, if you are going to be doing energetics, you know, not doing it in a closed space, if you are going to be shooting very large caliber, like rounds, not doing it in a closed space a lot, you know, it's, you know, obviously, you know, training to, to make sure that you're prepared for the threat that you're facing, right? You know, you have you, you, operationally that has to happen, but training smarter is, those are one of the things that uh, we're hoping to be able to, to, to help facilitate. Yeah. And, and not to, 
take away Eric's story or ask you to tell it. But my, my point was there's things that you will not recover from. There's things your body will not repair. And uh, I think it was Frank, right? Frank Larkin's story and his family and his son. And like, those are things that we hear about in the news with athletes and football. And so we associate them the same thing. They're, the results may be very similar, but our, my point is once we have the science and we have this data, we can actually mitigate that a lot and save our brothers and sisters from killing themselves, having huge physiological and brain issues for the rest of their life. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, or like, you know, Eric, he talks about like how he's, you know, he forgets, he really forgetful, like what he was eating or he would, you know, just like, I've heard this over and over. It's like, I walked into home Depot and I'm just sitting there. We're trying to remember uh, what I was there for. And, you know, a lot of people start resorting to post-it notes, right? Like, oh, I got to pull out my notes to try to figure out like what I'm here for. Um, that's what, you know, at the end of the day, we're trying to, 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 to prevent and mitigate. So, you know, I think the most important thing is that, you know, having, you know, you, you can on paper, uh, you know, I, I, I threw a couple energetics today. I shot 50 rounds. The it's, it's under the allowable number of rounds per day. I'm, I'm good to go. Right. But then you, you go home, you're not sleeping well, you know, you might feel a little agitated, things of that nature. And the next day you get up and you do it again on paper. That's there. Right. And one of the things about overpressure, right, is that, you know, you could the amount of overpressure that you receive from, you know, from using these weapons, you know, it varies from, you know, half a PSI for, you know, some of these weapons, small weapon systems. Right. A lot of these things, we, you know, we talk about pressure and acoustics so you know decibels like how loud it is pressure like what that force is you're feeling against you and you know the, some of these things that you're feeling and experiencing you know afterwards after using some of these weapon systems you know it may not come on and you, these symptoms might not come uh, start affecting you until the until the nighttime until you're trying to go to sleep you know it's just like i'm tired i'm dehydrated i'll drink some more water all good things um, to get sleep and stay hydrated. But at the same time, knowing that you're, you know, that you actually have a pressure measurement and you're like, wow, I, uh, I took a four PSI to the side of the head today. That was, wow. I, I did, you know, maybe that's explaining everything. Um, and then having that information to talk to leadership or your doctor saying, Hey, I, you know, I, I was standing in the wrong spot today. I was in, I was in the death funnel and standing in the corner and I, you know, I, I took a pretty big hit today. Uh, I was dazed for a moment. Uh, these symptoms kind of been persisting for the last 24 hours, 72 hours. Um, and, you know, you're talking to your doctor and you're like, hey, this is something tangible. Now we have a number that says, you know, you took four PSI to the side of the head. You know, that that's a lot. Or even better, what, you know, when we talk about getting, you know, hopefully having this, you know, have this record, this accumulative record of your exposure history. You know, I... I have, you know, over a 10 year career, I've, you know, I have 10,000 hits over four PSI. That's a lot, right? Yeah. Um, and now you have this tangible record and you're just like, man, I'm, I, you know, I'm not able to do my job. You know, now you're fighting just for, you know, uh, you know, when we talk about you know, just on your ear, like, you know, hearing loss and tinnitus, you know, if, if you're, I mean, if you're trying to, to, to understand like, you know, 
and you're and you're trying to get you know disability from it because you're no longer functional you know having that record is i think super important one of the things that you touched on i think from a practical level is um psi number you bring it up in your um in your presentation and i don't remember what exactly the the stats were but it was sobering for me to hear about what psi is at what level it starts to create some level of damage and i have this understanding that you know we wear ear pro um, when you're at the range and you're doing these things, but really the minimal amount that ear pro really does in, in reducing and that the reduction of what it is, it's still, it's still over the allowable level. And I'm, I'm not, I'm certain that I'm not articulating it, it well, cause I don't remember what exactly the stats were. Uh, but do you, do you remember touching on that? And is that something you're, you're oh, yeah. talking about a little bit? Definitely. Yeah. So like, you know, so when we talk about sound, and uh, noise exposure over time, right? When If you're exposed to, you know, right now, as we're conversing, we're conversing at about, you know, 60 dB, uh, you know, give or take a few, right? If you're exposed to, you know, if you, if you start to increase loudness and the duration that you're being exposed to that, uh, that noise, you know, hearing conservation programs kind of kick in. So, you know, kind of give you a little, understanding of like what different sounds are like 120 db is like a siren right 120 db is a siren noise exposure when you think about the these sounds and how loud they are um, when you're exposed to something that's considered like impulse noise so something that is over 140 db that lasts for under like uh like essentially it's, it's, a, it's a second right the effect on your on your on your your ear is profound. And so there's like these, this relationship between loudness, how loud it is and how long you could be exposed to it um, in a day before it starts to impact your hearing. Essentially anything, if you're, if you're exposed to 85 dB for more than eight hours a day, you know, that's when you have to actually start, you know, thinking about hearing conservation programs, right? Checking to see if you, if you need to, 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 to have your hearing periodically checked over and over and over again, like every year, every two years. But impulse noise is, is slightly different. This is a different phenomenon, right? Impulse noise would be considered like a gunshot, right? It's really loud. Noise um, and overpressure, dB for noise, measurement of loudness, and pressure, you know, that, that sensation you feel from the, from the weapon, uh, they occur coincidentally with each other. They're both incidental. They're, they're both occurring at the same time. And one of the things that happens is that, you know, with a lot of these, a lot of these weapons about, you know, like, uh, depending on the length of the barrel and uh, this, the, the caliber of the, of the bullet and the, the, the grains, the, the propellant that's being used, you know, a lot of these, you know, basic systems, you know, 556 to 308, they're, you know, anywhere between like 162 to 167 dB SPL, right? I can give you the exact numbers uh, and so you guys can post them. But when you add on ear pro, right? You're, you know, when you're, when you're over 140, you know, you, you know the, that's when sound is uh, bone conductive. So, you know, really, if it's over 120, you should be wearing ear, ear pro softies. And then if you're, if you're over 140, you should, you know, really be protecting your hearing. You should be doing dual, dual, double ear pro. And because over 140, it's it's bone conductive. So really, what those you know over the ear buffs are trying to do is trying to protect the backside of, of your of behind your ear, um, so that sound doesn't transmit through there. Uh, 
doesn't conduct. So some of these like larger like systems. So, you know, if anyone's ever fired like a 50 cal, you know, that system's like four and a half, five PSI, like, you know, to a person in a prone position, like to their head, um, that's pretty significant, right? Some of the shotguns, again, like depending on where you are in your environment, it can, it can uh, change. Um, I hope, I hope I answered your question, Brent. You did. And you, I, I, I mean, I think you did. Whether Brent understood it or not, that's a different measurement. That's but, a whole, uh, whole different <laughs> But I, actually, I, I'm glad you asked that, Brent, because it really paints a picture of like this is just everyday stuff. You know, like a lot of when I first thought about your program, I thought about bomb guys and that. But then I, I thought about how many times I've shot a shotgun or a breaching shotgun mm-hmm. and, and, and flashbangs. Uh, when I started in SWAT, we used flashbangs like they were candy. And uh, thanks to all the mistakes we've made in the last 20 years, and we're, we're a little bit more judicious in how we use them and when we use them. Uh, but those are all accumulative things that happen to you. As a matter of fact, when I flew home uh, from LA after your presentation, I, I, I just thought I, I should have had like a whole face helmet over everything, just protect all the bones in my face from all that stuff that happens. And I'm like, I can see that in the not too near future of just protecting everything. And uh, you can see better, you know, all the technology that could be involved in that piece of equipment to protect you, measure it, add information, all that stuff, which I know the military already has, but the cops don't. You know, at the end of the day, just having that information at your fingertips, you know, knowing that you may have been in, it, it could just be, you know, small exposures too, like, you know, you know, 308s, but you're in shooting inside of a car just because, you know, that's what the operational training scenario would call for, right? That in itself, just by, you know, shooting that weapon system in a car, um, being in that closed space, you know, you, you might have a headache at the end of the day. You might not. You know, here's the thing. I think there's a lot of resiliency, you know, already and built into most people right? And everyone, just like football players, not every single football player is going to get CTE, right? Not every single like old person is going to have Alzheimer's disease. Not every single person who's, you know, that goes, that gets exposed to these acoustics and and overpressure is going to develop a brain injury. But over time, it's just like, you know, there, there is going to be that threshold where, you know, it's wear and tear that occurs, these little micro traumas that are occurring. And at some point that those micro traumas are going to accumulate and you're going to end up with, you know, a larger injury. So some of the, you know, what we know about hearing loss, right. Is, you know, this uh, researcher, George Lieberman out of uh, MIT, he has this, you know, great model on how we, you know, how we, you know, over time ex- accumulate these little micro traumas in our inner ear that uh, lead to like, you know, hearing changes, you know, you can, you can have a loud event and, you know, have that damage to your inner ear. And, you know, you, you just, you just have tinnitus and, you know, you have that ringing in your ears. I was around a lot of heavy weapon fire after two or three years of just being around it. And, you know, I was kind of in the funnel because I was watching people as they're going by and, you know, watching where their head was in relationship to the, the, the weapon system. And I have a little bit of ringing in my ears. So, you know, it's anyone who's out on the range, you know, you, you go on the range, you know, send, send 50 to hundred rounds through, you're done for the day. Your ears are hurting because you <laughs> Um, yeah, and you're dehydrated and you know it's like uh maybe if i drink some more water uh maybe it's just something that's going on in your inner ear that uh telling you maybe you shouldn't shoot the next day so what i got out of that whole thing was i need to go to my chief and get 
silencers, suppressors for everybody. <laughs> you know, no, I'm, I'm teasing you. I, but it is true. Like uh, that, that can help mitigate that. If you've ever shot a 308 that's not suppressed from inside a vehicle, it's something that you don't forget. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the, again, you know, suppressors going going suppressed in, in scenarios outside of the acoustics, you know, the overpressure effects, you know, those things are, you know, tremendous. And, you know, I think there's some, you know, some trade-offs you have to take, to take into consideration, but, you know, when it comes to, you know, just your operational training, I think it's, it's recommended to uh, mix in when you can, just because of, you know, decreasing exposure to your ear and your brain. I'm hearing you talk about when you're in these type of a training environment, being aware that this can, that this can happen and kind of educating ourselves as to, you know, what, and I, I really appreciate how you're talking about what, what um, some of the decibel ranges are on some of these, um, these common things that we're seeing and that, that we do in this job. And then the resiliency component, kind of, I, I like the optimism that you built into that, that just because you're exposed to this doesn't mean something bad is, is going to happen to you, but if it does being, being aware of it. So, we were talking about kind of some of the cumulative effects of that. So fill in the gap for me. You're on the range, you're doing this. Maybe there's a 50 cal component. This is kind of new to me as we have a 50 cal program for a precision long rifle component. And so it's, it's on the forefront of my, of my mind when you said that. So you're out in the range, you're putting some rounds down range. You're aware of what's happening here. And talk us through it. If you don't feel anything symptom-wise because everybody's a little bit different, what what's the recommendation what's the recommendation when you go throughout the day and if you do feel some of the symptoms like you said you're, you're feeling tired you have a headache walk me through both scenarios um for kind of common sense so people are, are aware well first off if there's any doubt that you've uh, suffered a concussion make sure to talk to your medical provider about that throwing rounds through a 50 cal that's you know I, I, that's definitely a scenario where i think you know, someone should be gauged up just because, you know, the amount of pressure that comes off of that, uh, off of that weapon system, um, you know, you know, you're, you're, you know, the distance and precision that you're getting and, you know, that you're getting with that weapon system, obviously, you know, and, and, and how that weapon system is designed based on, you know, if it's, if it's bolt or if it's, if it's, uh, you know, cartridge fed uh, semi, you know, you, the, the, there's different aspects of that weapon system that, you know, provide, uh, recoil protection, right? So, you know, that, that does provide a pretty big thump to your shoulder. And based on the, you know, the muzzle on that and the, the muzzle break on that, you know, being in certain spots, if you're, let's say you're a spotter, um, uh, making sure you're, you're spotting in specific areas is also important. You know, also for the RSO who's standing, you know, any, any type of range safety officer, you know, knowing where they're standing in, in relationship to those, because you think about it, you know, if I don't know how many you know, in the military, if there's like, you know, a row of 10 guys shooting the same weapon system, you know, that RSO is taking, depending on where they're standing, you know, anywhere between, you know, can be, you know, three to four PSI up to like half a PSI. But, you know, they're each person sending down 10, 20 rounds uh, a day and, you know, 10, 20 rounds per person times 20, the 10 lanes, that's 200 rounds that that RSO is taking. So, you know, it goes beyond just like the, the operator, right? It could be the spotter, it could be the RSO that could should have these uh, at least some awareness of what the overpressure could be doing to them. So, all right. So if you're if you're starting to get some of these effects, right? You know you're, you know 
starting to feel dizzy or starting to, you know, you're, you've, you've lost, you know, you, there's just like this loss of awareness just for a second, right? That might be an indication that you, you know, had uh, a slight mild traumatic brain injury, right? That doesn't usually happen though. But, you know, people come off the range, you know, it's a long day there, you know, dehydration could be sitting in having uh, some, some common, common things to look for. Obviously these are some, like if you were to go to a doctor, it wouldn't, they, they probably wouldn't say you have a concussion because a lot of these effects are subclinical. They're, they're subconcussive, right? But it could be, you know, headache ringing in your ears, uh, slow think, long think, word finding. Um, so like you're, you're like trying to come up with a word, but you can't, you're like, uh, yeah, you know, that, that, that's kind of like long thinking word finding, right? Those are some of these things that, you know, we, in, in headaches and in ringing our ear, we all might experience that. Um, but if it's abnormal for you and, you know, it's just like, well, this is the first time I've ever experienced that, you know, I think that's when you, you need to start paying attention. And more importantly, if it's something that's lasting and persisting for you to, Maybe not go on to the range the next day and, uh, you know, throw more rounds down the range. Talk to me. And when you're talking about the range safety officer that's being out there, I'm envisioning people that are on a line, the range safety officer generally standing either off to the left or to the right, maybe slightly behind to be able to observe mechanics that are happening, uh, observe the, uh, the results of, of where the round is going. Based on that and, and your experience there, where where does a range safety officer stand to be able to provide that feedback, but also still minimize their impact and, and that PSI hit that, that they're going to be dealing with? Yeah. So, you know, I think that's going to be very specific on the weapon system. And sure. so the weapon characteristics, if it's a lo you know longer barrel, uh, 50 cal, or shorter cal, shorter, shorter barrel. Um, if it's, you know, if it's, if it has a muzzle brake on it, if it doesn't have a muzzle brake on it, if you know, depending on the environment itself too, right? You know, if they're if they're on a, a concrete berm, you know, concrete is probably not the best place <laughs> to uh, be shooting from because it's a harder surface and you're going to get those reflective pressures that come off and uh, can funnel into the RSO's position. So where does the RSO stand? And this is this is one of the things that we want to do. Why we go out and do a site survey so we can kind of get an idea of what the potential threats are that could increase the overall effect on the uh, shooter, the, you know, the, the spotter or the RSO. So, you know, generally speaking, you know, when it comes to like acoustics, right, or even PSI, there's, there's two general rules that come, come in handy. And this is, you know, essentially just based on the physics of, of acoustics and pressure, right? For, for every distance that's doubled, right, the, uh, 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 sound will drop approximately six dB. So let's say that the uh, the weapon system at one meter is uh, giving off like 100 and, uh, 175 dB, right? So at one meter, 175 dB. At two meters, it's going to drop six psi, so 169 dB. You double that four four meters, you know, you're going to lose another six. So essentially, every single time that you're doubling your distance, you're losing about six dB. So you can uh, you know you can approximate like, you know, how much pressure, how much like loudness will be, will be dissipated as you get further and further away from the weapon system. Same thing goes approximately for, uh, for the pressure, right? When you're calculating your minimum standoff distances, you know, essentially if you double your minimum standoff distance, you're going to see a 50% reduction in pressure. That's one of the, the characteristics of, you know, when we're trying to figure out where people should stand, you know, you can use the 6 dB 
decrease or the 50% decrease by just doubling distance. You talked about wearing um, some of the gauges to be able to measure this and then be able to build a log and kind of a journal to be able to know exactly what you've been exposed to and be able to take it to your chosen medical professional who can then be able to hopefully identify and tailor a response for you. Where do you have a recommendation on where, where these gauges come from, the types that are out there? And so there's, 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 there's different commercially available ones that are available and, you know, in, in Operation Blue Shield for in our phase three, we're, that's our goal is to bring in these commercially available gauges uh, that, are, that are meant for the uh, law enforcement community. So through our program, coming through our program, and uh, hopefully we, we, we get enough funds to be able to buy gauges and just give them to, to your, your team throughout the, the, through that, through that campaign, but, you know, they're available um, and, you know, they're, there's, there's advantages and disadvantages to different sets. And, you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to do a deeper dive with you um, at a, you know, later date where I can show you these things. Yeah. And you've even had some people in the military go out by their own, right? Because they weren't being provided. So they just go out and get their own so they could kind of yeah. protect themselves. <laughs> yeah. That's not uncommon in law enforcement either. No, usually... it's not. And, you know, the people know that they're available and, um, you know, being proactive, being like, you know, I've, you know, I, I've gone through so many doors and, you know, I've used a lot of explosives or, you know, these different energetics and I'm starting to feel it. And, you know, knowing, uh, you know, knowing what you've been exposed to is, I think is really critical. And also knowing what, like how much pressure you've been ex exposed to, like, you know, the, that cumulative record of it. Uh, I think a really important component to it is, is where that pressure is hitting you, right? Because when you, when you think about it, right, you, you talk about your face, <laughs> you know, taking so many, you know, hits to your face, um, all this pressure to your face. And you're like, you know, actually the front, you know, look at the dynamics of the skull, right? There's actually areas in your skull that are thinner. And, uh, you know, as a, as a scientist, I've used these, these areas that are thin in your skull to be able to use like ultrasound to be able to, to see parts of your brain or, you know, vascular system work. So like a side, a, a hit to the side of the head with pressure is actually, uh, you know, seems to be worse than like getting hit in the front. Knowing what, what pressures you're, you're taking is super critical, especially if you're, if there's an accident and, you know, I hope there's never an accident. But, you know, someone may be standing in the corner and, you know, something goes off accidentally and, you know, they, they're in that death funnel and they take a pretty big hit. Um, knowing what they took could be, you know, they, they may be in a situation where there's like some type of pulmonary issues that are going on. And, you know, that, you know getting them to, to be seen very quickly is really critical. James, you, you talked about earlier on about what phase one yeah. looks like for you. And then you talked a little bit about phase three. And Marcus asked how you, early on how you got into this. And I can't help but thinking you're here talking with on a podcast with us. You're out doing these things. You started a company. You're doing all these things. You're incredibly passionate about this. What's your mission? What, what, do you, what, do you, what do you what do you what do you what are you what are you doing this for? So, you know, earlier we're focused in on outcomes and symptoms uh, related to traumatic brain injury. And, you know, one thing that really drives me. And the thing that I'm really passionate about is understanding the brain, understanding like how the brain functions. And more importantly, like what happens to the brain following injury or just normal aging. So for me, one of the things that I'm really interested in is trying to understand like what happens to the brain after blast, right? And in, in my opinion, 
like brain, like blast actually kind of accelerates brain aging. And for me, that's really interesting. Getting our hands around like accelerated brain aging, you know, we can try to figure out how, how these different mechanisms come in place, how they, how they affect like overall behavior. And, you know, overall, we might be able to prevent those processes. And that's really what drives me. You're definitely passionate about it. And I appreciate that because people, uh, people are attracted to people that are passionate about what they do and they're good at what they do. Right. It's such an, it's such an important question, Brent. And, you know, I've, I've been wrapping my head around it because, you know, I don't want to see anyone die. I don't want to, I don't want to, if we can prevent one suicide, really at the end of the day, we've done our job. Right. But more importantly though, like, you know, every single person, you know, for you, Marcus, and, and for you, Brent, you know, you guys probably have experienced it. You guys probably you've seen it, but you know, having someone with a brain, seeing someone with a brain injury and knowing that it's preventable, like I imagine every single, like both of you would do anything you can to, to, to help those people out. And, you know, that's, that's, that's where my passion lies. Some great distinctions too, that you're really drawing and you're opening up perspectives in that we've, it's only been in the last couple of years that law enforcement has been open enough to start talking about wellness related issues. And you're seeing an explosion of departments that are creating wellness related issues, right? Right. Um, my own included. And we can talk about wellness and we can talk about suicide prevention. And we can talk about all these different types of things, which are very real and they're, and, and they're there and they're, they're present. But if it's obvious to everybody, we'll just say it's probably obvious to everybody else except to me. This was the very first time that I've learned that there is a distinction and a, and, and a relationship between what is happening, practically speaking, and the training that's going on and what the physiological effects are on your cognitive abilities, as well as how that relates and interrelates to what you're dealing with on an emotional level. Whereas I think previously, my mind has been when people are having these things and in, in exposure to it, and they're dealing with you know, suicidal thoughts or the things that are happening there, this is, it's, it's cumulative trauma. It's, a, it's an emotional trauma. It's a mental trauma. It's eye-opening for me to hear that, no, that, that, that very well may be, but there's another component to this, that this is a, from a practical application of the things that are happening. We expect, we expect to have the emotional trauma of seeing the horrible things that you see and how you deal with those type of things. This is a different, this is a different animal, but Kate was very thankful for you and the work that uh, you're doing and the work that BAM 360 is going to be doing because we believe this is an important topic and we believe that it is, it's, to me, it feels very cutting edge. I don't know if it is. I'm not a, I'm not a neuroscientist, man. So I don't know if it's as cutting edge as it feels, but it feels pretty cutting edge. So we're, we're very, very thankful for you on behalf of the entirety of the community. We do feel that we don't speak for everybody, but we believe that our membership is representative top to bottom of, of this, of this state. And uh, Marcus and I get the pleasure of talking to cops and, and tactical officers from throughout the state, throughout the country, and oftentimes throughout the world, really, we think that, that the work you're doing is, is um, it's really special. It's really important. We're thankful for it. So that, that being said, let's talk about where, where can folks go to learn more and where, what, what can they do? What can we do our community to, to help this mission and, and further it along? How can we help you help us? 
Sure. Yeah. So, you know, if essentially we have officially launched Operation Blue Shield with LAPD SWAT in December. It's an awareness and blast monitoring campaign to essentially promote operator brain health um, and prolong the health and career of tactical officers, operators in the law enforcement community. Where can you go? Well, there's a couple of things. First off, learn more about it, right? Um, I'll, I'll send you an article on operator syndrome that is that was published a, a couple of years ago, and it really paints an elegant picture of like what uh, you know tactical law enforcement officers are going to be potentially deal with you know operators, and you know really talks about the problems with um, brain injury and PTSD, suicide, how to prevent it, things of that nature. You want to learn more about Operation Blue Shield and support our campaign to be able to provide the tools to the SWAT community and to, to fight BLAST-related traumatic brain injury, go to GoFundMe and look up BLAST-related concussions. Um, there's only one campaign out there <laughs> on it. Um, and, uh, you know, read about our story, read about Eric's story, read about, you know, what we're trying to do. And if you want to support our fight, um, please donate um, and share within your community. I really, at the end of the day, Part of our campaign is to increase awareness and uh, to be able to mitigate and prevent uh, these types of injuries. www.ban360.com and uh, go find me, look up uh, blast related concussions. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll uh, put all that stuff on the, on the podcast and in the notes, and then we'll throw it up on our website as well. Uh, Brent, any last thoughts before we go? James, thank you for your time. This is uh, really going to be an introductory conversation, we hope. Um, we hope to hear a little bit more about how things are progressing. We'd love to do a part two, maybe some deeper dives like Marcus um, touched on. If you're available, we'd love to have you at our conference. We do think it's an important uh, an important message. So thanks for taking the time. We'll look forward to, to talking with you sooner. And, and if there's anything that Cato can do to be a part of your research, we would love nothing more than to help further your mission. So please utilize us. Yeah, I think there's one thing like, you know, what what your listeners can do to support our mission. I think there's something that's really important as well, especially if you're a tactical officer, and that is talk about adopting our program with your leadership, talk to your union leadership, other organizations, and most importantly, reach out to your congressional representatives and tell them to pass 2021 HR 2992 essentially in the subcommittee on crime, terrorism, and homeland security. And this bill is, is meant to look at traumatic brain injury and PTSD within law enforcement community and first responders. And I think that bill, just understanding uh, throughout the United States, because I think we're going to, you know, our goal is to tackle it within the high-risk tactical community and the SWAT community, but as a whole throughout the entire law enforcement community, um, HR 2992, really needs to get more traction. And if we can if we can really start to get a grassroots approach and get everyone to talk about it and try to get that bill passed, I think we're gonna make some real progress. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, and who who's running that? Who's your lead? Do you know who the lead is for that? Yeah, so uh, this guy, Bill Parcell, I think out of New Jersey is the one who uh, essentially right. submitted that. And there was, uh, it was also co-sponsored by several, several others and from Florida. So, you know, the more we talk about it, you know, we reach out to our, you know, any representative, wherever you are, uh, we really need to make sure this, this bill just doesn't, gets pushed along. 
Thank you for listening to the Cato Podcast. To become a member of Cato, check out our website at catonews.org. If you have a topic suggestion, please send them to podcast at catonews.org. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend and rate us on the platform of your choice.